0: Well, this morning we are uh, picking up where we left off last week on the message series that we're doing on The Incredibles, and by The Incredibles I mean kind of two things. One is, uh, if you've ever uh, uh, been around kids long enough to watch a lot of CGI movies, one of the ones that stands out for me anyway in the time that I had kids in my household and they were paying attention to these, was a show that came out around 2003 entitled The Incredibles. Anybody ever see The Incredibles? Okay. Well, since then, we've had a slew of superhero movies, different characters that have been uh, showcased in cinema, and they they are actually probably the highest grossing movies out there. Uh, But the thing that I I like about the theme is the fact that it's not so much that we're taking The Incredibles and we're imposing them on the Bible, but rather taking the Bible, and we're drawing from it a lot of incredible things that define you and I in this space and out there, when we live uh, away from our gathering. And I think there are incredible things that every believer needs to be aware of. And there are things that are unincredible that we need to not pay so much attention to. And maybe it's best to just kind of go through a little Q&A right now and ask a question regarding what is incredible and what's not incredible in terms of the words that we use. Last week we talked about prayer. This week we want to talk about the power of words. So if... um, if I were to say, on tonight's evening news, we'd like to report to you that everything is bad over here, and it's really bad over there, and it's horrible over there, would you say those are incredible words? Are those words we even pay attention to anymore? They've lost so much of their meaning because everything is bad every night, and how do you undo or outdo that? And so there's a sense that it's just pretty unincredible. Last week, Apocalypse is not as bad as this week's Apocalypse. Pretty unincredible, pretty uh, mundane. How about if you're a student and your professor tells you, well, you didn't do quite as well on this test as uh, I know you'd hope for. However, I'm grading on the curve and you got an A. That's an incredible word, right? How about if you're pulled over by a police officer and he says... Um, ma'am you were going 15 miles an hour over the limit would that be incredible or that would be unincredible <laughs> just depends doesn't it you're holding out but maybe he says I'm going to let you off with a warning that would be an incredible phrase because you didn't, ex- didn't see that one coming did you well, if you, if, you, if you drill down a little bit farther into life's different episodes where we hear different voices speaking out to us, a politician gets on TV and he says all of these wonderful things that he or she uh, are going to do when they're elected, would you say, that's pretty incredible? Or would you say, that's not even incredible? that is non-credible? How about if you, for the first time, pick up a Bible and you're a 19-year-old and you don't know anything about the scripture? And when you open it up, you know that in your heart you're looking for something and that's why you bothered to pick it up in the first place. And when you pick it up, you find that it says a lot, but the thing that captures your attention are these words: written in red. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved. Are those incredible words? Those are very incredible words. And I can just share in my own experience I was that 19 year old. I don't know if it was exactly that phrase but I do remember this. I had some big questions and I also recognized in my own personal inventory I had some big challenges and some big problems and I also had some a lot of shortcomings And I felt like it was all way beyond me. And I was looking for answers. And I remember having a Bible in our house that I had never looked at before. Because it was old. It was leather. It was white. And it had a little zipper on it with a cross on a chain attached to the zipper. And I remember at 19 looking at that book a little differently than I ever had. Asking the question, is there anything more or less incredible going on in this book that would be worthy of my attention. And I open it up and it's in King James. Anybody ever read read King James? You need a translator. But if, at least I do anyway. Some people can read it and I don't want to offend anybody. But I do know this. When I open it up, I didn't even know where to begin. So I just kind of thumbed through it and I found red letters in there and I naturally thought those must be important. And What was so strange about that experience was there was something about those red letters that when I read them in that state of mind that I was in, looking for answers and hoping that somehow it would speak to me, it not only spoke to me, it knocked me over. And I I clearly was speechless because when I read them, it was like, I've read a lot of things in my lifetime, but I've never read words that almost came alive to me like those words did. And that was a defining moment. I'm, I'm sharing this with you. Uh, that was 1983, and I can remember it as clear as day. And what impressed me was when I read those words, it was almost like they were being spoken to me. Now, this side of that experience, I just know that's how it works when you read those words those words speak to you because there's somebody behind those words even though he said them 2,000 years ago he's timeless in his ability to take what he said a long time ago and make us hear it 2,000 years later on the timeline with the same freshness those are incredible words aren't they and maybe that's been your experience maybe it hasn't But my guess is a lot of times we have to be prepared to hear it. Because I believe that a lot of times when it comes to incredible words, what we value as incredible is different than what truly is incredible. Now, for example, as you know, um, last year I bought a Hemi Challenger, which I'm thrilled about. And every time something about Challengers pops up, I'm, I'm on it. I'm interested. I want to hear about it. It's incredible for me. And when I hear about, you know, Chevy Novas from 1971, matter of fact, I don't even know if I've ever even heard about them. They're just not interesting. Nothing personal, but it's not on my radar screen. However, I do have a friend who had one, and that was his end-all and be-all in life. For him, NOVA is an incredible word. For me, some people say it's the Spanish way of expressing no-go. And that's why it didn't sell well in Mexico, at least that's the rumor. Credible words or words without credibility, I'm not sure. But today whenever we think about words that are incredible, I'm, I'm really focusing on the words that are incredible in the Bible. Because they seem to have a kind of power that no other phrases that you'll read anywhere can carry. And the Word of God is our way of tuning in to the mind and the heart of God. It is something that is through the freight of what each word in and of itself represents. If if, if the Word says God... So loved the world there's a whole lot of freight being, being transported in those rail cars to your heart and mine and then when it goes on to say even more about whosoever being you and I believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that's powerful and it's just an example is all it is of what's in there But where it breaks down, I think, is what we talked about last week. How is it that you and I can experience those words in an incredibly meaningful way, except for prayer? And prayer really is the pathway that those words are transported back and forth on. If you were here last week, you um, uh, maybe picked up one of these prayer journals that we've put together on the Psalms. And the Psalms are essentially uh, a collection of 150 prayers, many of them by King David. And in our experience with this book and how we're going to just encourage everybody once a month to, to, to pick one up. And this month we're reading uh, Psalm 1 through 25. But you can begin and end at any time. The idea is we would like to cultivate incredible prayers from the Word of God by the example of how those prayers are are, are displayed and experienced as we engage with them because I think they're kind of like the red letters. They they jump out and they speak to you. So the message today is corresponding with the emphasis of of picking up one of these which are right outside the worship center on the table and, and just expanding your prayer capacity so that it maybe goes to an even more incredible place because prayers are essentially the the, the conversation that you and I have with God. Words are actually what define that conversation and the more our words align with God's words the richer that conversation gets. And so before I even move on any farther I just want to pray. Do you mind? Would you bow with me? Father, we are grateful that your word is capable of just cutting through joint and marrow. It has the capacity to divide our very souls in a way that lays bare everything that's in our hearts, which makes us very vulnerable, Lord. But we are grateful that the one who offers those words genuinely cares deeply for each of us and is absolutely and completely trustworthy, And so we thank you, Father, that as we seek to develop our capacity for prayer and for hearing your word and experiencing what it means, I pray that you bless this part of the message as we um, just see how incredible it truly is by comparison to everything else that we hear. And so we pray your blessing upon the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just take a look at the graphic for a second, and if you've seen The Incredibles, I I just want to kind of make a point of of connection with their lives. The reason why, not just because the word Incredibles uh, is inscripted on the title of their stories, which there are two of them, but the reason why they're so interesting to me is because so many superheroes are focused on the... Qualities and capacities of a particular superhero who has these abilities because of you know some event that seemed to happen at at one point, whether it's a nuclear accident or a laboratory experiment or 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 whatever the case may be. And the idea was you just have a a superhero who has a strength, but he's kind of disconnected from the strengths of other people. He could be like Superman, or he could be like Batman, or he could be like um, the the slew of Marvel action characters that uh, we've we've seen in cinema portrayed. And the, the, the end result is a lot of them are just kind of doing it on their own unless they find a reason to align. In The Incredibles, it's a family. That There's something about being a part of that family that changes who you are compared to everybody else. They each have their own type of superpower that's unique in its own way and it It's such an experience of different types of gifts that I can't help but make the comparison between that family and the family we have here, the family of God, where each of us, whether we realize it or not, and maybe it's come to the surface and maybe it hasn't, each of us, because of our connection to Christ, has some incredible capacities. And the first one being just the ability to come before God and know that he hears us and know that when we pray that things do happen. And last year, again, not to overuse the word, we had so many prayers that we lifted up and we saw so many things answered that it probably was, unless it was just me not paying attention before, the best year for answered prayers that I've seen. And I'm sure you could ask other people and they would tell you, yeah, I've seen God do some stuff. And the thing about God's answer to our prayers, a lot of times it's not over the top dramatic, but it is subtle in the way that he's just been at work. And then you see, oh yeah, in that key moment, he brought everything together. that's how God works it's not all showy and bells and whistles and lights though sometimes it is but a lot of times it's just his way of saying I've heard your prayer and trust me I'm working and if you haven't seen it realized I'm still working because I'm the God who incredibly works everything together for good even our dark valleys even our biggest difficulties Only God can take our pain, can take our challenges, can take our own darkness, can take that thing that we feel like we can never get beyond. Only God can say, I will not only engage you in that experience if you ask me. I will work it together for good in my time, in my way, you have to trust me. And that's the word of God. Romans eight twenty eight. if you need to look it up but there's so many other variations of that idea that it's just God's way of saying you gotta trust me you gotta have faith that I am here I'm aware and if you ask me I'm engaged that's incredible without Jesus I don't know that that's even possible Rich mentioned spiritual warfare, and I kept thinking of the song by Martin Luther, uh, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And in that song, he talks about spiritual warfare, and at the end of one of the stanzas, it says, And one little word shall fell him. And he's talking about Satan. What do you think that word is? Did I hear it? It is the most... I I truly believe this. It is the most incredible word on the planet. And it's a name. It's Jesus. And I know you're probably thinking... Yeah, it's kind of like when you go to church camp... And you don't have an answer. You just say, well, Jesus. And then that's the answer. Well, yes and no. (laughs) Yes and yes. How about that? Yes and yes. Matter of fact, the Bible says... All the promises of God are yes in him. There's so much about Jesus being the person behind the words that we're engaging with in Scripture that makes it come alive. And honestly, at age 19, my thought was, I've already read some philosophy. I've already been thinking about ways that I can just organize my life around some religious or philosophical viewpoint and it's just been me trying to adapt some good ideas but this is different because when you read these red letter words they're not just ideas from some teacher that died a long time ago scripture says he's still with us and those words are still alive And active. And when I encountered that, I didn't know any of that stuff. All I know is I pick up this book, I read it, and then something touches me in my spirit that I can't give words to. Those words are just not there anywhere in any dictionary. They can't carry the freight of the substance of what it means to have the Lord show up through His Word. Subtle, but dramatic. It wasn't like my mom was saying in the other room, Leonard, there's a bunch of lights flashing in your room. What's going on in there? The house is shaking. What's happening? No, it was just something inside of me that said that was incredible. And 30-some years later, I'm here because of that and just so many other ways he showed up. Well today we're going to look very briefly at Psalm 12 because in our reading uh, uh, this month we're going to be uh, going through that devotionally and I want to set this psalm up by saying it describes uh, an experience that King David had and he in his life had two things going on if you read his story. He was described as a man after God's own heart. But he was also somebody who, at the beginning of his call to be king, had another king named Saul who just saw him as a deep threat and spent the first part of David's leadership life trying to kill him. So David has a group of people that are supporting him, and he's running off to this cave and to that farm and this place trying to hide from... The, the blind rage and murderous intent of King Saul. And so some of the psalms that David writes says, Lord, this guy is out to get me. Or his people are out to get me. And I'm really feeling like it's pressing in on me. And I'm just telling you, Lord, what I'm feeling about how oppressive this is. And a lot of the Psalms are just David's way of saying, this stuff is in my heart. It feels overwhelming, and I'm sure I'm exaggerating the point, but it seems real. And Lord, are you there? Are you going to help? You ever been there? Maybe it's been a circumstance where you felt the heavy-handedness of a, another oppressive person in your life. Or maybe it's just been life being life, and you're saying, Lord, are you there? And David has that sense of asking that question not so much because he doesn't believe it because the word says he's there but he's not feeling it he's not feeling the presence of God in that moment but it's the word that says he is there that David ends up clinging to and discovering as a matter of fact in all that I've gone through he's always been there so let's just read Psalm 12 real quickly. We're going to put it up on the screen. He says, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor er- deception in their hearts. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like everything and everyone is working against you? It was like there was a, a convergence of all the forces in the world looking at you and saying we're not going to make your life pleasant at all, matter of fact we are intentionally working against you so that your life is miserable you ever have that day my, my wife taught me a song, I'm, I'm not going to sing it but I'll say it as a poem and I think it captures that feeling, I don't know if she sang it because she felt it or she sang it because it was funny, you can ask her but it goes like this: Nobody loves me, everybody hates me. I'm going to the cellar to eat worms. That's it. You guys know that one, okay? Or you know a variation of that one? We, we've all we've all had our own version of that song. I mean, if you put that to country music, if you I mean, if, my friend back there, there you go. There's your lyrics right there. Although I know you write lyrics. You can can include that in there if you want for free. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to the cellar to eat worms. Does everybody hate you? Probably not. Does it feel like everybody hates you? Maybe. Should you go to the cellar and eat worms? Don't Don't recommend it. Let's move on. That's what David is saying there. Everyone, all those people, nobody's faithful. He's pretty upset that he's not seeing anything good out of the community of people that he's surrounded by. I mean, that's a bad place to be, isn't it? Where every voice that you hear seems to be turned against you. Not fun. So as he's writing this and expressing his deep emotion, he goes on to write these words. As he's crying out to the Lord, Help, Lord. So there's your prayer right there. He says in verses 3 and 4 this. Let's move on if we can. He says in his prayer, May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say by our tongue we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Stopping again right there for a second. Have you ever been in the workplace or even in a gathering of people where there's a lot of flattery going on that seems very plastic? There's a lot of performing going on, there's a lot of posturing going on, and you just feel like, come on, people, give it a break. Or there's that person who's done everything. You know, they're the best at tennis and they're the best at cycling and they're the best at even riding a unicycle. And you just have to ask them. You want to ask them, but are you the best at eating worms in the cellar? I don't think so. I mean, there are some people that they find so much personal value in describing how great they are. So David's getting an earful of that. And for all these people... They're what I would call perception managers. Do you know what a perception manager is? They will come into your world and they don't want you to know certain things, but they want you to know other things. And they want to make sure that they carefully curate what it is that you're hearing. And that that is the only thing that you're hearing. A perception manager is a person who, let's say you're a boss and you're asking your employee uh, for a report. Are they going to tell you all of the good, the bad, and the ugly? Or are they going to be like, I'm going to tell them everything that I think will benefit me in the process. And part of that's human nature, isn't it? We don't want to look bad and we certainly don't want excessive criticism. Life is hard enough. But these people that David is talking about are actually in a community of others where this is sort of the way of life. Isn't that a, wouldn't that be a wonderful community to be a part of where every day you got up to work and there's a guy that brags and there's a person that tries to flatter the boss all the time and there's a person who's trying to manipulate perception by just telling you what they think you need to hear about them and they're just using a lot of words to describe a lot of things and maybe even make a lot of promises David says I see that going on all around me and it's really getting under my skin because they don't even believe that God's going to call them out on it Who's going to lord over us? I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be a part of that experience. But you know the really sad thing about what I've just shared so far? Is that David's other experience, besides being hunted down by King Saul, who sees him as a threat, and David's, I would say, more or less very innocent in his, in his, in his way of responding to things. He's above board. But then there are other Psalms that you will read that David wrote where it's more complicated. Because David sort of lived a little bit longer and he's figured it out and he's doing pretty good and so good that he's like, I don't even know what could threaten me at this point. Matter of fact, the neighbor's wife is so beautiful. Her husband is all fighting. I think I'll take her as my own. And he does. She gets pregnant. And then he's like, hmm, yeah, I messed up. And so he tries to engineer her husband's uh, time away from war so that he could spend time with her, so that because there's no 23 in me, we'll know that David's not responsible here for the child that is the outcome of that. Okay, you with me? It's sorted, it's messy. But let me just say this. David found himself in a place where he made very bad decisions, and as a result of those decisions, he had to cover it up. He had to lie. He even did some boasting in the process. He even tried to perception manage in the process. He even kind of pushed God away a little bit. But the thing about being in this room is those words that pull us in are also the words that call us out. And that's the hard part. Because I don't know about you, but I... I don't like to be called out. But why would God call us out? Well On David's case, it was disconnecting him from everything good. And it was giving him kind of a plastic connection with God and a plastic connection with other people. By that, I just mean fake. then a prophet came in and he said a word and it wasn't the word itself but it was how he phrased the, the series of words that were incredible because they so powerfully hit their mark. And it goes something like this. Nobody knows about David's situation and how he crossed the line but Nathan the prophet does because God knows. And Nathan goes up to David and he says, "David, I've got a dilemma on my hands and I need your advice. We have a guy over here who's a farmer and he's got a lot of sheep. And he's doing really well. And we have a guy over here who's a farmer and he has one. And the guy who has a lot of sheep looks at the one and he says, "I would I just need that one more sheep over there." And so he goes and he takes it. And he makes it his own. And David's just starting to get really mad. I mean, you can just see the tension start to well up. And he he says, Nathan, we need to call that guy out. And he needs to deal with that. And Nathan just said, David, that guy's you. And then he just melted. Because God has something larger in mind in all of this. He knows that the world you and I live in is like that. And it's powerfully dehumanizing and destructive in who we are together. And David personally goes through the whole range of experiences of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the Bible shows us the good, the bad, and the ugly of David's life. Could you imagine the Bible looking at your life and mine and saying, we're also going to include a chapter called Leonard. And we're going to include a chapter called, uh, I'll pick on somebody, Jerry. And, you know, and we're like, don't do that. But what's so valuable about this is that it is real. And that is the whole point of this message. Real words for real situations, real circumstances that are going on in your heart and mine. But a gracious God is in that conversation. And his goal for you and I is to work ourselves out of this stuff so that we can work into a better place. Now, I'm just going to say something real quickly. I think that it has a lot, I think there's a lot at stake here. Not just the fact that wouldn't it be nice to come to a gathering of people and everyone that is in that gathering has an attitude of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Would you go to a party like that? Would you like to be around people like that? I know I would. Can you imagine if every family reunion and every Thanksgiving, everybody just said, we're leaving our politics at the door. We're leaving our little hobby horse agendas at the door. We're just going to show love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And you walk out of there and you're like... That was not real. That was, well, that was incredible. How did that happen? Who's responsible? And those are all good statements. Because in reality, when God looks at you and I, He has this idea I want to rescue you from that. Because we're all in it. It is all us. Every one of us. This is it why we're scared we're insecure we feel threatened we don't always have the answer we fake it till we make it all of that stuff and God says with me my word says you don't have to be afraid my word says I will never leave you or forsake you my word says that if you feel insecure don't be because I've adopted you into my family by the very blood of my son, sealing the adoption papers. My word says that don't feel threatened or unsafe or insecure about what you will eat or drink or what you need, because if you pray to me, I will help you find your daily bread. And all of those needs that drive us, when God is not in the picture, to do that start to find their fulfillment when we say God I need help in this area God says I'm going to help you and you may not even understand how it is that I'm going to do it and probably won't but just stick with me it may take longer than you think, but there are a lot of good things that, that, that are going to happen. But it also takes you unlearning and delayering a lot of that stuff in the process. God doesn't waste an opportunity to change us from where we are at, being born into a world like that, adopting that way, not knowing any different until we see or hear something about Jesus and start to discover something new and the possibility of being a different person. That Jesus enables through a blood-stained cross, enables through an empty tomb, enables through a Holy Spirit that he gives that allows us peace with God and the ability to bear that kind of fruit. All of those things are incredibly bundled into our faith. It is our superpower. And when God does that for you and I, we start to lean on him. We start to trust him when we don't understand. We start to listen to his words. And we start to believe that who he is and what he says he will do, he will do in his own time. And he is completely and totally trustworthy. And if God can get us to settle in our thinking that that's the case, wouldn't it be wonderful if people just came in here off the street and said, You know, I came to First Christian. And they were different. Did they have love? Yeah. Did they have peace? Yeah. Did they have patience? Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? They may want to stay. But there's a lot of people who don't want to stay. And maybe we're part of the problem because we think, well, God, you know me. I'm kind of messed up, been messed up for a long time. I'm a good faker. But you really can't change these problems. Well, God does go to work through our crisis on our character. And that's the first point I want to make, is this. The words that aren't in this psalm, and I'm just going to jump right to the slide. The words that aren't in this psalm are character. All the characters that David is describing are bad characters. They're bad actors. And if you were to say to yourself, I am so grateful that the Lord saved me by his blood, and I know I'm not going to hell, and I know I probably can't change much, but at least I have a savior, that's a pretty low bar view of what is actually going on here. And you could take that view, and God would say, Yeah, I want you in my family, but I had a much larger vision for what I think you could become than just trying to avoid things that you used to do but you may say I I, I can't change you know my mother-in-law let's go to the first slide that says uh, character if we can my mother-in-law said to her cats when they got up on the counter when they got up on the table when the cats well they peed on the floor she would say those cats are bad actors I kind of laugh a little bit because she'd get sort of like she was talking to him like you guys should know better you shouldn't do that you've been taught better you know the words don't get on the counter you know the words don't walk along the table you know the words don't pee on the carpet I've told you this a thousand times and the cats say didn't get it and I kind of laughed to myself because I'm like Nancy they're cats How do you change cats? I mean, does anybody here have a cat that's gone through a transformation? I've had a lot of cats in my day and not a one of them. They just got worse. I had to quit hanging around with them because you know, bad character corrupts good people. So we won't go there. But the bottom line is you and I are not cats, are we? We are people made in God's image. And for God, character matters. It matters because people matter. And by that I mean when God says, if I've created in you something new and I've put you on a path through prayer and through the word of transformation, I've got plans for you that you don't even realize. And what I discovered in this process was The plan was that I'd be a part of a people that when other people who were looking like I was are looking for a place where the word and the behavior line up, then God said, I want you to be aligned enough in who I am that when people see you, they know you're not perfect. None of us are. But they'll see enough of Jesus in you by how you respond to things that they'll be saying, That's the kind of Thanksgiving dinner that I want to be a part of. So character matters. And a lot of times, people don't go to church because there's a misalignment between what they're hearing and what they're seeing people doing. And there's a book by a sociologist that came out that talked about the question, why people are done with the church but still have faith in God. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Because by design, the church is the vehicle for everything that is about God, especially the prayers that people are called to learn to engage in and the words that people are called to cling to. The incredible superpower that is waiting to be engaged in our lives. But there's another missing component in this psalm, and that is a community. Now, the community that's there are a community of people that belong to each other, but mainly it's out of self-interest and self-preservation. And in this case, this community exists for the sole purpose of getting rid of David. You know, they're all, in, they're all happy and in agreement with one another because they have a common goal, and that is to get David at least away from Saul so he's not a threat or get David out of office so that we can get somebody else in there. But their whole reason for being a community has to do with what they're against. And I, did, I don't want to be just a community that's, I, we're here because we're against sin. Now don't get me wrong, I take sin very, very seriously. But that's not our reason for being. Our reason for being is so that we can be transformed into a community that is aligned with God in such a way that when people see us, we can assure them we're not perfect. But we do try to keep Jesus front and center as much as we possibly can. So that when we interact, we're not doing dumb things, shooting each other in the foot. And we don't have the power to do that in us, do we? But there is a name that is at work in your life and mine who does? What's his name again? Jesus. And he's trying to create a community where people belong. Where there's something unique about us that people long for. You see, in this book that I mentioned, the other reason why people stopped coming to church and said, I'm done with church but I still believe in God, is because the fact of the matter is we may have been pretty good about getting our hearts and our minds and our lives lined up in a way that people say, yeah, when I see that person, I, I do see the Lord. But you know what sociologists say? Another powerful reason why people do not stay in church. They simply say that there's a pattern of human nature. And if a person statistically has five adult connections, relationships with other individuals within that church, within that group, within anything that is organized in a group form. There needs to be five relationships and each one that's missing means that there's a greater probability that somewhere not too far down the road you'll be missing too. What's also scary for me because I've I've got to ask myself a question on this one. When it comes to kids, you can have great programs, you can have great youth outings, you can do social things, but to get them to be a part of the community, every kid in our church needs to have five adult relationships where they know that person and that person has taken enough time to listen. to be credible. Do you remember as a kid having somebody come up and they they, kind of had a lot of charm but when you start talking to them they're like I'm not interested kid I got to move on. And I think they get that. And I may have been guilty of that. But if you want this group to be here 20 years from now either in this form or somewhere else we got to work on those five connections With all our kids. It takes a lot of work to do community. But God gives us the love and the passion to do it. And hopefully, the will. Here's the last thing that was not in this community. Credibility. Credibility is a thing that combines the two together. It's one thing to say, yeah, you got it together for the Lord. Yeehaw, that's awesome for you. But it's another thing to say you've also got it together with each other kind of a cross cross shape you ever seen a cross before and that I think is what the sociologist is saying brings credibility do you have those vital relationships if you've been here for a while like myself are you making them and if not he's just saying the thing won't be credible You'll be like that psalm. There will be a a thing missing. So, on the third slide, if we can put it up there, um, it's that credibility. We only have credibility in the word that we believe in when we live it out. We only have credibility in the words and the prayers that we offer for others and to others when we are connected in relationship. If we don't have character, community, and credibility, we don't have a church. All that from Psalm 12, believe it or not. It's all in there. So I'm just going to end it right here with a prayer for us that God would help us to see those areas where we still need to grow personally and corporately, would you bow with me? Father, whether it's our families, or whether it's our church, or whether it's even a group that we believe in beyond the boundaries of this space, help us to be real based on our connection with you through prayer and your word. Help us to hear what we need to hear, especially if it hurts. You actually have a better place for us to land, a richer place, and you do so much in that experience to unbundle the lies in our own heart and to rebundle connections with you and others. Father, help us to have credibility that when we leave this place, people can say, I know they're connected to that space. And I know what they believe in that space is what I see embodied in this space. Help us, Lord, to spend time with others in a way where we listen and we engage. I pray especially for our young people that we will not create a legacy of scoffers, a legacy of people indifferent to you, a legacy of people who are done with the church the legacy of people who ultimately just disconnect from you and go the way of the world. Help us, Lord, to tend to the well-being of our kids and to do our due diligence to honor their young lives and to create that relationship that maybe you've been nudging us on for a while. Lord, just bless us here today as we assimilate all this into our being because every word you say is personally from you. And personally makes it its mark on us, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.